0: Welcome to Overdrive, where we take a populist approach to cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we take a look at the latest news stories, including BMW urges foreign car makers to pay into the German Transport Fund for Infrastructure and Public Transport. We speak to Jeff Willem, the Executive Director of the VACC, about a major report on the car industry that they have produced – We road test the Infiniti Q60 two-door coupe, and we have short pieces on whether we are navel-gazing or taking up opportunities in our planning of transport. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to get the program going, let's have the news.
1: Tesla has said that it will raise about $1.5 billion through its first ever high yield bond offering as the US electric car maker seeks fresh sources of cash to ramp up production of its new Model 3 sedan. The debt offering marks Tesla's debut in the junk bond market. Tesla has been riding high on investor expectations that its Model 3 will be a mass market hit with shareholders pushing its market value above that of General Motors and Ford, the top two U.S. car makers that produce millions of vehicles annually. The attempt to generate more cash via the debt markets comes roughly a week after Tesla officially launched the Model 3, a vehicle meant to broaden Tesla's appeal beyond a luxury car company. BMW's chief executive officer believes foreign car companies should contribute to a proposed German fund set up to improve urban transport infrastructure. German car makers and the government will contribute equally to a €500 million fund aimed at helping local governments reduce pollution, including introducing systems to improve traffic flows and public transport. The agreement also includes the overhaul of engine software on 5.3 million diesel cars aimed at repairing the industry's battered reputation. The car makers approach is more than just trying to fix old problems. Governments around the world are coming down heavily on diesel-powered cars and some countries have moved to ban them completely. Hacking an autonomous car requires a degree of sophistication and learning. But autonomous cars may be able to be tricked in simpler ways. Work from the University of Washington suggests that simple stickers on signs could cause untold confusion. Autonomous cars first identify shapes and then compare them to a database of objects. Stop signs, for example, have a legally defined shape and colour. But a few well-placed stickers on the sign can totally confuse the vehicle. It is a similar situation to perfecting automatic number plate recognition. Simple clear letters and numbers are not hard to identify but when they are surrounded by advertising slogans and state identifications they can become indiscernible. Contextual awareness may help. A cul-de-sac for example should not have a 100 km per hour speed limit and up-to-date records of road conditions could provide another way to check if the car has assessed the conditions correctly. Daimler is one of several investors that have contributed over $37 million to the Volocopter, the company that is making a flying car. It is not really a car, but rather a manned, fully electric, drone-like vehicle, which, as the publicity says, makes it possible for everyone to dream of flying and help modern cities solve their growing mobility problems. In the fourth quarter of 2017, Volocopter, together with the State Transit Authority of Dubai will conduct initial demonstrations of an autonomous air taxi. By 2030, Dubai aims to carry out 25 percent of its passenger transportation with the help of autonomous means of transport. Volocopter claims to be the global leader in the development of vertically launching fully electrical multi-copters for the transport of people and of heavy lifting cargo drones. And that has been the news. Car
0: manufacturing in Australia will cease in October 2017, but that is not the end of automotive activities in our country. There are many facets to the industry, not just building and selling new cars. The Victorian Automobile Chamber of Commerce, the VACC, certainly thinks so. They have just released a report titled Directions in Australia's Automotive Industry. Their executive director is Jeff Willem and he's on the line now. Jeff, thanks for your time. Hi, David. Selling cars is big numbers, but employment is spread through a whole lot of industries in Australia to do with automotive.
2: Uh, look, it is, David, and, and I think it's important for the public to know that whilst we bemoan the fact that automotive Car manufacturing is leaving our shores, but you know, nearly four-fifths of the industry is made up of people that repair them and sell them and keep the 18 million vehicles that we've got on the on the roads every day. Mm. So the, the the industry has got a a big and a bright future, but we will be changing the profile of the industry from the public's vision, if you like, uh, where automotive, particularly passenger vehicle manufacturing, will. off of the limelight and the vehicle service and repair sector really will be the centre of the universe for the automotive industry.
0: Many small businesses?
2: Uh, 70,000 small businesses nationally. Um, It's one of the biggest uh, small business sectors in the Australian economy and uh, predominantly mum and dad businesses still. Uh, Small business, micro business and in some ways heading more towards micro business as We get people in the industry specialising as cars become a bit more complex and people start to segment their roles in the industry.
0: Yeah, that specialisation I think is important. But just before we get to that, everything seems expensive to do with the cars, at least the consumers might think that, but it's not money for jam necessarily. It's not always an easy, profitable business.
2: Look, it's not uh, an easily profitable business. I mean, often people look at fuel retail outlets, for example, and they think that the guy in their, uh looking after the, the outlet owns some sort of oil, uh, is an oil baron. And um, the reality is, is that some of the leanest profits in the industry come out of fuel retailing. And to be quite frank, if they weren't selling Mars bars, newspapers and bread, they'd be in big trouble. And even though, you know, we have a spotlight on fuel retail from time to time, uh, the long-term average is very lean pickings, you know, 2 and 3% returns in that area. Um, the independent mechanic around the corner is still the person that's doing the best in the industry, uh, small business, mum, dad, couple of apprentices doing well, and we would expect them to be to sustain those businesses even with the introduction of electric and more autonomous vehicles. David, people like to be dealing with their local mechanic, and this might be in a dealership, it might be in an independent repairer. They want to know the persons around the corner, they can trust them. And they're fixing their car at a competitive rate.
0: Owning a car and the person you either buy it from and/or get it uh, maintained is really a much more regular relationship now than perhaps we might have thought of it in the past. Look,
2: I think so. Um, we do like, I mean, comfort and safety is of paramount importance in people's minds when they get their car repaired. And they really want to know where they can take it back if things aren't going the way that they want them to, or if a repair needs additional work, they just need to know that the person working on that vehicle is competent and and trustworthy. And and it's important to note that the majority of people in the automotive industry, particularly in the repair and maintenance side, are still employed through uh, and trained through the apprenticeship system. We still start around 13,000 new apprentices in automotive every year nationally, and there's somewhere up towards 35 to 40,000 people in training at any one time. So whilst it's a traditional industry, it has still kept pace with technology as it's changed in vehicles, but we like to know that somebody that's being trained in the industry is done, through, done through, through a proven program, which is apprenticeship, and I can't see that changing in the short term.
0: A couple of issues on the horizon, parallel imports, if I can bring in any car I like. Is that a concern to the industry?
2: It is a major concern. And, and just for the, for the purpose of your listeners, David, um, parallel imports are where uh, an individual or a business can import vehicles that are already being sold through a, a proven and tested manufacturer program through dealerships. What we don't want is people picking a car off the internet that looks like a brand-new Mercedes, and when it arrives, it's wind-up windows and no radio. Australian consumer law does not protect people that import vehicles on a one-by-one basis internationally, and we've got concerns about that. We've made those concerns made to government. So paralleling one-off or even groups of cars through non-traditional supply chains, in our view, is a bad idea. We've been there before, by the way. There's been parallel imports of odd vehicles from around the world before and they normally end up uh, at the back of a scrapyard because nobody can find parts for them or the componentry isn't quite the same as the componentry required to meet our local standards and um, it's a sa- and, and actually used car dealers generally stay very clear of them because they know that they're fraught with uh, problems. Same for uh, car parts, and, uh, you know, there seems to be a trend out there at the moment that you buy your parts online, go down to your local mechanic and ask them to put them on. Well, there is, a, there is a false economy there in a lot of cases because unless you know the source and origin of those parts and that you know that they meet Australian standards, I would be very, very careful about ordering parts online to be fitted to your car. And actually, one of our alerts to our own members, 5,200 small automotive businesses, is unless they know where those parts come from and it's a trusted source, don't touch them and actually don't fit them because, you know, at the end of the day, the person fitting the parts has got a liability and a responsibility around those parts. And unless they know where they came from and it's a trusted source, there's got danger written all over it.
0: One of the things is we need to have firm rules then, but uncertainty, I think your report emphasises that there's a fair amount of uncertainty out there and, of course, that's a hard environment in which to run a business.
2: It is. What we're picking up, particularly in regional Australia and regional Victoria, is uncertainty. And part of this comes from this churning government at a state and a federal level. We don't like churn and business doesn't like churn because with churn comes changes in policy settings And, uh, you know, if you're going to invest a lot of money in a business, particularly if it's a business where, you know, for instance, you're a dealership and you've got a lot of liability around imported vehicles, the last thing you need is a a quick change in government policy. We had one in Victoria recently, 1% increase in stamp duty for new cars. Came out of the blue, of course, doesn't help, uh, uh, you know, people selling new cars in Victoria. That type of policy platform at a federal and state level makes people very nervous. And I think the industry and industries that I talk to are looking for far an improvement in continuity. Things like power pricing. You know, nobody's going to open up a big repair workshop that's got big power requirements unless they know what the power is going to cost them over a long period of time. Company tax, payroll tax... You know, we need government to be very clear about long-term strategies on these important policy issues.
0: The industry has to embrace new technologies, autonomous cars, for example. Are we preparing ourselves well for that?
2: It's interesting. The automotive industry, uh, ever since we got off a horse onto a train and when we got off the train into a car, the automotive industry has, has been able to adapt itself very quickly to new technologies of course, new cars, David, are bristling with this stuff. And, you know, you've probably heard the old thing about, you know, the early uh, machines that went to the moon. There's more computing power in the modern car, and that's true. Um, but mechanics and uh, vehicle technicians by nature are adept at, at problem solving. And uh, with the sort of technology that's around and, and the, the machines that are there, the scan tools and the diagnostic equipment that's there is allowing... You know the industry to move forward and to make sure that cars are repaired and uh, and it repaired to manufacturer specifications. We do have some challenges around uh, repair information in the market, but we're currently in discussion in the industry about that. But the important thing is is that the consumers got confidence that of the ninety thousand mechanics repairing cars who are qualified and trained that they can do it appropriately and properly, and uh, and they can. And uh, it's a it's a great industry to be in. It's an industry, you know, cars to a large degree, shape the world we live in because they provide that transport and that freedom. And we know as autonomous cars come through and as electric cars come through over the next 10 years, these changes will profoundly uh, alter the way that we view, use, pay and have cars in our lives in the future. The the notion of uh, buying a car and keeping it for, for 10 or 15 years will be something that will change and particularly in inner city melbourne and sydney and in the city areas where car sharing uh, will increase
0: jeff lovely to talk to you thank you very much that's a pleasure david you're listening to overdrive transport computer models have often been used for predicting volumes and evaluating specific projects but as we embrace new technologies either reluctantly or with enthusiasm should we be looking more and more to models to look at strategic directions? Again, we hear from international modelling expert Lewis P. Low Willemson, who is a keynote speaker at the 2017 AITPM National
3: Conference. The models are very useful, and I think essential. We can live without them, but the way in which we use them should change, and in fact, it is changing. It is changing in the sense that we imagine alternative scenarios for the future this is the only thing we can say about the future is not going to be like the present it's going to be different but we don't know exactly how different in, in, in many dimensions not just the autonomous vehicle dimension and then use models to explore how these different futures will work under different type of decisions and get a, a combination of quantitative and qualitative understanding of that future and understand at least provide some better guidance on what type of choices, decisions will be more helpful, given the uncertainty about the future and how it appears that the future will pan out. But I think governments in different places in the UK, I don't know that much about Australia, but I am working in New Zealand at the moment, governments are coming to terms with that and looking at better ways of exploring alternative scenarios and what should be done about them. At least governments. I'm not sure yet decision makers are ready for that. But the work, the groundwork is being done.
0: This is Overdrive across Australia.
4: So, David, uh, Infinity is not a particularly well-known brand. It's Nissan's equivalent to Lexus but it is not nearly as embedded into the general public's list of cars that they might be aware of or or let alone consider. Now, you've been driving a a couple of the Infiniti Q60, which is a two-door coupe. It has two engine choices, and on paper, they look quite different. Um, David, what
0: were they like to drive? Quite different, I think. Yes, I, I would have to say that. In fact, it was Jekyll and Hyde. The smaller 2-litre engine, turbocharged, that's fine, 155 kilowatts, 350 newton-metres. It's a gentle tourer, not for the sports car driver. But the 3-litre one, you've got to think of doubling. It's got two turbochargers, and it's got nearly twice the kilowatts, twice the power. 298 kilowatts, and not quite not double the torque, but 475 newton metres. I've got to say that it was totally different in terms of driving them. I hopped in the performance one, the 3-litre, in the wet weather and I drove gently out of uh, where I picked the car up and uh, turned onto the street and accelerated quietly up the road, the wheels spun. <laughs> it was traction control. It was actually quite controllable, actually, But and in the dry, uh, you know, you re- even then you had to be very careful. And uh, Pulling out of our little side street onto a sort of main road, I, one time it was dry, I moved out, I squeezed the accelerator gently, no problem, but Cars were coming up, so I squeezed, pushed it a bit harder, not full bore, chirping at the tyres. And so this is a this is a rear wheel drive vehicle. Uh, yes, yes, we're talking a two door coupe. Uh, it's rather elegantly looks, like we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, let me say though that the sound was uh, very sophisticated, but not raw. You know, it didn't have that sort Mm. of deep burbly or snap, crackle and pop that we knew from things like the Jaguar F-Type. So it sounded uh, okay, it sounded clever without sounding sort of guttural, which I think is, is interesting. It has three modes in it, but the thing that it's not bad, not enough of, but it's very good. If you're in Sport Plus mode, it's the throttle response is good you know it's you, hmm. it's not mushy if you're uncomfortable or echo it's mushy uh, so I like to have you know positive throttle control even if I have to squeeze it carefully at least I know exactly where I am but if you're in sports plus mode it then holds it in lower gears so it's pretty common for sports mode in a in an auto isn't it yeah and what it means is that if I'm going at 50K at in a residential street, it will hold in third gear at 2,500 revs, whereas really what I want to do is drop to fourth gear at 1,500 revs and just feel much more today. I mean, you know, 50K zone is not meant for feeling sporty. Mm, yeah, can you manually – you can flip it into manual control, I, can't you?
4: It's got paddles. Yeah, if, if you want to do that, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly
0: yeah. got paddles. Uh, And and to some degree, for a while there, I was going in sports mode but changing gears down, but still getting the sort of good throttle response and nice suspension. But you can actually personalise it. Maybe not quite enough, you know, throttle and steering and suspension and that, but... I've seen that a little bit in a Tesla. In, in this one, you can do it a little bit, and I like that idea. You pick the bits you want. You might want to have good throttle response, but not a really ha- firm ride. So you might go for the sporty throttle and the comfort suspension.
4: Hmm. And is this, this you can all customise this from the the uh, screen, I guess. Yes, Yeah. T- to an own, extent. Create your own mode in the system, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but what about the looks? It it, it's, it looks be good. It's got a sort of a flowing style,
0: a very strong grille uh, without being too lexan esque, if you know what I mean. A, Le- a, mm. a Lexus esque, mm. Lexus tends to be a bit over the top. Uh, the front I like, low and a bit of a wedge like shape. The back is a bit rounded. It's got a touch of the Nissan GTR, that uh, sort of Nissan old sports car about mm. it. That
4: it, it does it sort of does it have a bit of a uh, maybe a Nissan Z under the. Under there somewhere is it based oh, okay. on a, a similar platform?
0: Oh, that's going back a bit, but yeah, it's certainly got a, a enough Nissan in it. Uh, but it certainly tries to be a bit different and tries to be a bit stand out. I took it mm. to a, a high class hotel. I, I was guest there. Oh and... yes. Did the um, valet choose
4: to park it out the front with the other?
0: No, he didn't. Although it was vehicles? full, one of the cars parked out the front was a Holden Ute, but it was a sporty one, so. Perhaps I shouldn't feel offended, but it looked good. It looked right in that place, but a little bit embarrassing when you turn to the valet guy and say, oh, well, don't forget, it's got a foot brake for a hand, <laughs> for a, a parking brake. Right. But do, do you think it can, can compete
4: with the opposition in terms of style?
0: Yes. Yes, I, I think it does. Some people looked at it and said, what is it? I say, it's infinity, Oh, it's a Nissan. No, I don't like it. But, I, you know, I do. I from certain angles, it's not at its best. And i tell you what makes a big difference, and that's the colour. The sporty one I drove was black, but the more milder one was a, a stronger blue. You've seen that one. You saw mm, the, yes, that blue colour. Yes. I think that suited it better. You can get it in a sort yes. of rich maroon colour as well. I, yes. I, I didn't mind that. Uh, but I think it made a big difference. I think there's also a dynamic sunstone red which is unique to the hotter one, the Red Sport, but you know, yeah, that's not bad. Not bad door. Mm. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. I quite, quite like it in the blue. It sort of um, uh, has a good contrast with the with the black grille, the, the sort of very, very prominent Infinity um, scoop that they have on there. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm.
4: Yeah, two, two doors can be a bit of a compromise though. You've only got two doors and limited seats in the back. Um, yeah. People own this sort of car and, and they're not likely to be carrying the passengers, so it's not much of a problem, I guess. But um, is it still comfortable inside?
0: Well, it's comfortable in the front. It's very cramped in the back. But the thing that I find about a two-door car is that you use the boot a lot more. Even, you know, If you've got a little bag that you might have thrown on the back seat, suddenly getting to the back seat, particularly it's got big doors and so the seat belt for the front passenger and driver has a little arm but it doesn't extend and doesn't retract so I didn't find it easy to grab anyway I was constantly having to sort of almost turn all the way around to find out where the seatbelt was you know the Mercedes has that retractable and and, and arm that uh, moves Mm. out and so you can get I like that and and that sort of thing stops you getting into the back, which is not easy at the best of times. So I, I, it's very much the, for the front seat people.
4: Yes. So there is a there is a rear seat, but it's more of a, an upholstered rear parcel shelf.
0: Yes. Well, uh, the the young sixteen year old got in there, but I've got to say that his mother had to move her seat forward a fair bit uh, and yeah. lose some of that comfort. So, yeah, yeah. it horses for courses.
4: We've got a lot of gadgets in there. It's, I mean, the Japanese, including Lexus, have sort of established their name based on tech technology. Has this got the one got enough of that? Enough toys in the? In it's the...
0: got a bit, but not quite enough, I don't think. For example, you can't even uh, set the dials up in front of the driver with digital speedo. Now, I, I like that. I prefer the number. I I like that rather than a dial. It doesn't have a heads up display it's there, there's mm. a number of these little things that are annoyingly missing that really for that that sort of car you would like to think that it had it
4: yeah well i guess you, i guess guess the likes of lexus have had a few more generations of of vehicle to sort of establish that that kind of thing
0: yeah electric park brake would i think would be uh, ideal but yeah the, the point about it is these things have been around long enough you ought to be able to pick them off the parts shelf and say i will have them in this car which Mm -hmm. i want to look good the active lane control wasn't really as strong as it might be so you know it it was good it felt good inside it's a well-made car but it is disappointing in that it doesn't quite go far enough in giving you those bits and pieces that you might expect from something with a, a bit of cachet about it
4: yeah yeah but i i guess the, the flip side is some people prefer to have less of that sort of stuff in their in their face so uh, yeah it's sort of um depends on the on the customer i guess
0: well heads up display you can make your choice as to whether you want it or not but then again mm. to put it in always takes money so i guess that's about yeah. it And it goes for about 62, I think, for the cheapy, and about 89 plus on roads, of course, for the top of the range ones. And as I say, the top of the range ones' engines is a fire breather compared to the other. But but to be quite honest with you, I don't mind touring around at a a gentle pace. Mm, mm. So you've got a a
4: customer has a has a choice of what what they'd like, a tour or a rocket, and uh, both in a in a in a pretty good looking shell.
0: I think that's exactly right. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Brian Smith, Errol Smith, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.